Welcome to The Long Leash. I'm James Jacobson. People need dogs, and perhaps they need us. But what do humans do to deserve the unconditional love that they lavish on us? That is the very question posed by We Don't Deserve Dogs, a documentary created by Australian-born, Brooklyn-based filmmaking duo Matthew Sala and Rose Tucker. Partners in life as well as art, this is their second feature-length documentary, and it follows barbecue about the ritual of cooking meat over an open flame. At its core, We Don't Deserve Dogs seeks to tell global stories about the power of community, the role of tradition, and how unique cultural experiences shape the human condition. Those themes are absolutely captured in We Don't Deserve Dogs, and I had the opportunity to chat with Matt and Rose, not just about the inner workings of this film, but also the filmmaking process that they used and how the coronavirus pandemic impacted its release. We also get a sneak peek behind the scenes into some of the stories that you'll see in the movie. If you haven't had a chance to see this film yet, this it will be a taster as to what you can expect, and it may surprise you. If you have watched this film, this is a peek into the backstory of how it came to be. In either case, once you've listened to this chat, make some time to watch it for the first time or for a second time. I am sure you will enjoy it as much as I did. Matt Soleil and Rose Tucker, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having us. I have watched your movie, not once, but twice. Great. <laughs> I find it almost meditative. Is it designed that way? Very much so. I think, you, yeah, I, for me, um, the whole thing is meant to be a sort of continuous meditation. The music was designed. The music is set at the, the uh, pace of a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. You know, it's got those sort of... Uh, feelings going to it so yes very much so yeah that's you've, you've hit the nail on the head <laughs> so it because it because obviously i don't speak uh most of the languages uh that are that are in the how many you're shoot in like how many countries so we're in 11 countries and 10 languages okay and even some of the english is a bit difficult uh in in india um and or nepal or uh, Pakistan. Pa Pakistan. Pa Pakistan. 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 Okay. Yeah, Beanish in Pakistan. She switches between Urdu and English yeah. mid sentence. Quite fluently. Yeah. <laughs> Quite fluently, and and she is an extraordinary person too. Yeah. Um. And and that's what's kind of so mesmerizing for me about this film, is that you find these not only extraordinary dogs, because one would expect that, but these extraordinary people who are telling a story that you all synthesize as we don't deserve dogs. Yeah, I think, you know, it was interesting. One person pointed out to, to me that uh, that you don't learn the names of almost anybody in the in the film, but you know the names of all the dogs. But the, the people are really, you know, quite inspiring as well. I think what makes it interesting is that none of them are, none of the people in the film are sort of famous or like, you know, uh, media savvy or anything like this. We just dropped in on everyday people and these sort of everyday stories were kind of what made them so extraordinary, I think. Yeah, we have a rule that uh, we didn't want any experts sitting in front of bookshelves. Like, 
we wanted to be out there, real people in their backyards, in their cities. Um, yeah, no, no, no science. <laughs> and you shot a lot of shots in bedrooms. There's a lot of beds in this. In the, in <laughs> yes, the, there was are that a conscious beds. decision? Like no bed, um, no bookshelves, but beds are okay. Um, I think it's I, people in their place. And, you know, a lot of people living in apartments, live, you know, we, we ourselves live in a very tiny apartment. So often the bedroom's like the nicest room where people want to... Yeah, wanna... we would often ask. People would say, where do you want to do this? And then often they, you know, they might be living with family. So they would say, oh, can we do it in my bedroom? Then I can close the door. Then I can close like, the door yeah. and I can talk yeah. for real. <laughs> is that, is, were people hesitant to talk about their relationship with dogs? Oh, no, no, no. I think it was just... Um... People just get a bit embarrassed being on camera if they've got, like, family around, you know, listening to what they're saying. I we, think... like, kick everyone else out so that yeah. we can have it so so they don't have to be uh, self, self-conscious enough. You know, these people have come from another country and have got a camera and a microphone and all of that. So anything we can do to make it a little more comfortable, we'll, we'll usually uh, do. Did this film come together by basically cutting a bunch of different things that you had done in different countries or did you intentionally say these are the countries we're going to go after we're going to find stories there yeah we wanted it to be as geographically broad as possible but we didn't plan all of the countries in advance so we started by doing like two or three at a time we would go i think we started with romania and italy because they're next to each other or close you know yeah tactically yeah um and we would go and that you know that trip would take a few weeks we'd come back we'd look at the footage then we'd think okay we need something to contrast with that and we'd plan the next part of the shoot so it certainly wasn't predetermined from from the get-go but yeah every as we went along we would work out what we needed and what we already had and what we needed more of and and with it being just the two of us it also meant that if we did you know like i remember at one point the story that we filmed in uganda rosie had read a little something about the the charity doing the work over there and you know we we made a phone call and they're like oh yeah come over next week and we're like okay let's do it because it was just the two of us and there wasn't some boss some producer in a in an office somewhere that had to like be briefed on the situation we could have that so you jumped on a plane where were you when you we that, were, in, we were, back we were in New York yeah we were in that. New York when I read about the comfort dog project and I sent them an email and Sarah Schmidt who runs it literally emailed back within 20 minutes and she said well you know we have a big event happening there at the end of the month if you could get there for that that would be good and I'm, we we're like yep done that versatility <laughs> great and it goes the other way as well when we were in Romania um we had Rosie had coordinated everything so that the the exact time of the year where they move the sheep over the mountains, it's all very timed to the seasons. We were there for, and then we turn up, and then they're like, "No, we're not ready. The, the weather's not right yet." Like three, four more days, and we were like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." Oh, we, we can hang out. It's not like you yeah, have a, just, a million dollar. Yeah. It's not. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We can afford to stay, you know, a few more nights and and wait for them to be for everything to be perfect. <laughs> so you're frugal filmmakers very much so and if it's not clear we're also a couple so it is literally one hotel room one hotel room and you can share you can share your 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 breakfast exactly exactly Exactly. but that gets but then it's you know you it is frugal and it's you know it's sort of we're very independent and very self-funded but at the same time huge opportunity you know the potential to be able to have that strong creative vision and you know act it out when we go filming in places would have not worked with a giant production. No. And I think it leads to an intimacy with the people we're usually filming with that like the most of the time they don't have much media experience at all. So mm-hmm. I think the fact that it's just sort of the two of us we're a couple, we like to sit and chat and, you know, have a drink or a meal with them first. Like it's not like we jump in and start filming straight away. We always like to sort of take a bit of time and establish trust first. So you say it is entirely self funded. This film was, yes. Yeah. And how many films have you 
to collaborate it on? Ooh, we've worked together for 15 years. Um, a lot of our early projects were sort of short fictional films. Uh, we really got into documentary about eight or nine, eight or ago. nine years and, yeah, ago. So two or three shorts and then another feature documentary Yeah, so as well. this was our second feature doc. We've done one other feature and yeah, a whole bunch of shorts as well. In 15 years, how, how long have you guys described yourself as a couple? Throughout that 15 process, fifteen years. 15 years. <laughs> okay, it all it all together. Now there I must be some up. challenges associated with working and living and everything together, traveling together. Sure. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yes. So plenty of fights, uh, plenty of creative disagreements, um, and you definitely cannot keep the, the world separate. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people are like oh, I keep my work life and my home life uh, separate, and I'm like, well, no. that that's the the process of disentanglement is too time consuming i think it's just easier just to go it's all in it's it's the film you know it's like it, it the film is life it's business it's it's relationships it's the whole the whole thing mixed in together but i wouldn't recommend it it's not for the faint of heart <laughs> well what keeps you what keeps you sane um I, I i think um well sort of creatively at least you know we'll, we'll have an argument have it out like have it out all the way like i think you know in a way that i think our work is made so strong we sort of say that we don't really commit to an idea unless we're both happy with it i guess in a way we we have a fairly unified creative vision but the devil's in those little differences and little details that if we can't resolve it that we're both happy with then it's worth having out over it and i'd rather be having it out in that sort of environment than you know have some suit or some you know hollywood executive that you're having to have this argument with mm. it's much it's sort of much safer environment for it i guess <laughs> the films that you have worked together on uh, have run the gamut from like your most recent film is, is about what? So the one prior to We Don't Deserve Dogs was Barbecue, Barbecue. And that was about the relationship between humans and cooking meat over fire all around the world. So similar kind of simple subject told in a global context. <laughs> Do you see this as your crowning achievement of, the, of your collaborations to date? I think this one was not just creatively, but the way it was made was was very much like, ah, oh, this is how we want it. And, you know, and then the pandemic sort of threw everything for a loop. We finished the film before the pandemic, but then our premiere got cancelled and we had we went into limbo for about a year. So we've now sort of taken on the other side, which is releasing and distributing and learning all of that side of it. So now it's like it's it's been a, a through line of, DIY, yeah. like the hot, we, we've seen it all the way we through. We basically broke all the rules. People say, don't fund your own film, right. uh, don't self distribute. And we've gone ahead and done all of that and we're actually enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> Is it turning out to be as lucrative as if you'd gone the other route? Oh, of course not. No, no, no. It's a financially <laughs> terrible decision. Um, but right but. now, but, um, you know, uh, it, we, we've seen it both ways our previous film was like the american dream we moved over to america with this finished film under our arm that film premiered the, bar at the barbecue yes yep. barbecue premiered at south by southwest and was sold to netflix the day after its world premiere so we had that that's that so, the sort of the baseline we were operating and so from. effectively it was, we'll just it do was this a, with dogs yeah. yeah exactly and effectively we took our netflix money and made we don't deserve dogs with that with that money mm -hmm. um uh but you know we were hoping for the magic to be 
replicated second time round, and we we'd done all the right things. We'd got it into South by Southwest. Yeah, we, we were, were ready premiere to go. Again. Bags packed. Bags were packed, and then of course they pulled yeah. the plug. Festival yeah. off. World premiere cancelled. Yeah. Uh, and so then we yeah we had to get a bit more creative with how we were going to get this film out there. So it's a little slower burn, and we're still, but we're we get we're having a lot of fun connecting with audiences. We're sort of finding little pockets of people that are into the film, and a lot of people have been spreading it word of mouth. So mm-hmm. it's been kind of fun, and we've got the time right because you know it, everyone's quite like. There's not exactly a huge amount of work for globe-trotting filmmakers at the moment. We're sort of a little bit grounded, so um, so we're we we we're, yeah we're reaching out, we're we're chatting to people, talking like we get emails. Every, we I think people in like something like fifty something fifty four countries, countries have to. watched the film now. So that's kind of yeah, that's kind of cool. It's fun and it's, it's sort of things are happening backwards. So we released the film online, which is uh, you know normally you wouldn't be able to play the film in cinemas if you've already released right. the film online. But it's happening in reverse for us. We released the film online. It got some great buzz. And now we have cinema, a cinema chain in Australia that's playing the film. So, you know. The it, rules it, are goes. all I, undone by COVID. Anything yeah, goes. Anything exactly. goes. So we're yeah. trying to take advantage of the new uh, landscape, so to speak. <laughs> well, and the major studios are also you know, releasing films on streaming the same day that they're available in the movie theater. and yeah Absolutely. and so and yeah. so it's all and you know and there's and there's that opportunity and you know the main thing is we've sort of tried to keep the rights to our film so you know not giving it away so that we can do things with it like you know build a a, a relationship with an audience over time you know over two three four five ten fifteen twenty years you know not just not just right now so it's 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 kind of exciting in a way hmm. what can that relate what what do you envision that relationship could look like i think it could be a thing where like the film might as i said might grow over time so as those opportunities like a common thing that happens for um smaller time filmmakers like us is that you give away all the rights to your film and then right. hope that someone else does something and then if if something else happened down the road they'll make lots of money off of it mm. sort of thing so this way if there is you know we want and this to be a, sustainable we yeah, want to be able to do this for it's a long learning time. a model now so that if we do have to go down this route again we know we know how to do it <laughs> Do you see the 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 audience that you're building as a like an audience interested in in films or an audience interested in dogs? It's been a bit. It's been interesting. Like it's 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 sort of be. I think it's just people. I think it's yeah. just. I think it's the people that are interested. Well, there in is life that commonality, and, I guess. There is that thing, yeah. but they're interested maybe in life in a more um yeah it, just understanding who's been who the film has been resonating has been really interesting. It's I been think. a little little of both. I think there's plenty of people who enjoy watching documentaries and films who can get a lot out of this film, even if they're not that into dogs. Um, yeah. Well, which audience has, has sort of bubbled to the top? Are they, are they people who appreciate uh, quirky documentaries or think- are they dog lovers? I think I think the most vocal are the dog lovers. Yeah, but yeah. it but in a way, but I think also, you know, people go, Oh, oh, a dog film and then it's you know, there's all these cutesy sort of like fun, up uh uh brighter, I guess you'd almost say film. And we, we we from the from the start always envisaged this as a film that looked at that little more melancholy, that sort of more soulful, uh sometimes lonesome relationship that people have with their dogs. And we weren't sure how that would connect because people when they hear that there's a documentary about dogs, they're like, Oh, it's gonna be bright and mm-hmm. fluffy and 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 all up and you know, we you know, our film has light and shade in it. And I think, you know, we were like, Will people understand it was interesting when we were talking to distributors some of them were like oh i expected a light and bright film mm. and we're like well it's something different and they're like yeah 
We really wanted a light and bright film. And so, we wanted sort of, we, we wanted uh, the art of racing in the rain. We we wanted yeah. a, a talking dog in a in a wise. And there was a little bit of that. And yeah. so and so I think we've connected with this audience that a lot of people that have responded very strongly to the film uh, in a heartfelt way have sort of said, oh, this is a film I've been waiting for. Like I've been waiting for that deeper. They It reminds them of maybe a dog that they lost or, you know, like something a little more soulful to it. Now that's been really, really, uh, really strong for us to, to, to see those heartfelt reactions. The, the dog lovers, what have they been saying? Well, it's a, mi it's, it's a mix. Some people um, absolutely think that, you know, we, we capture the essence of the relationship. Some people um, struggle with some of the more serious themes in the film. Um, but, I mean, overall, it's been very positive. It's been amazing, actually. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I think, yeah, you know, we get people reaching out to us and, like, sending me photos of their dogs and saying, you know, your film meant so much to me and I sat here and I watched it with my dog. And, you yeah. know, things like that are really beautiful. I think, I, I think one of the things we've always said that in terms of the subjects of our documentaries, I always love it love it when it's a subject that gets people talking and when you tell people oh we're doing a documentaries about people and their dogs like oh you should film my uncle or oh this reminds me of this mm -hmm. or, or reminds me of that and that's been probably the the strongest thing that i've noticed is you know if we if we post it on a website or there's a review or there's comments or people send us an email it's storytelling mm -hmm. people go like oh i want you to know the story about about yeah. like everyone's got a story everyone's about got a, a story and, and so does. we're sort of hearing all these other stories i'm like yeah those are really those are some interesting stories <laughs> I, I can relate you know i have this thing called dog podcast network yeah um, yeah well, yeah. What was interesting is that, you know, your film came out, Elizabeth Lowe's documentary, Stray, mm -hmm. came out, and uh, where, where she chronicles the, the stray dogs in uh, Istanbul. Mm -hmm. um, were you guys aware that she was working on that when you were working uh, on this? No, not at the time, no. After, after the film was finished, I think we were aware that there was one or... There's, it, it seems in, in, inevitable is that you think you've got yeah. a completely original idea and about oh. five films and then suddenly you become aware you, of all these other... You see them everywhere. There's like, there's the, the, the truffle hunters as well. Yes. Um, and yeah, so there's... there's They're stealing my idea. They're, they're doing things with... Yeah, exactly. It was a bit odd when, when there was a film about truffle hunting dogs and we had truffle hunting dogs in our film and then yes. a film about dogs in Istanbul and we had... And I was, I was kind of like, all right, there's definitely some... Subliminal. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, the the dog gods or god dogs are uh, are, uh, are are demanding this type of content. Do yeah. you what What's your thought about that? Do you think there is a greater uh, appetite, insatiable appetite, for these uh, contemplative movies that discuss uh, the relationship between humans and dogs? I think. Yeah, I think. I think there are. I think there's. Um, there is an appetite for really heartfelt, I, and it's it's a bit tough for us to know because we don't really, when we conceive of a film, we don't go like, oh, that's going to do really well, you know. We'll, we'll, you know, we for us, it's just sort of where our heart lies. I and guess, we don't kind of... watch, we don't watch the other content, particularly while we're making a film, and we might hear, you know, about other similar projects. We we intentionally don't watch them right. because we don't want that. You to send come me your dailies, doing. I'll send you mine, and then we'll yeah. yeah. Sometimes we're aware of them at least, like, yeah. but but like I think for us it was it was. Um, I, I think there's probably just a commonality in filmmakers wanting to tell those tell those stories, mm. and that that like 
those other filmmakers were at the same point in their careers where we were in our own. We're all probably part of a movement towards something rather than us all trying to be something, if that mm. makes sense. And it's, so for us, it's a very natural thing. And, and for me, the more the merrier. I got, mm. there's plenty of, plenty, have, you know. Have the three of you guys gotten together? No. no, not yet. No, I think if there had been uh, uh, festivals actually Southwest. running, well, maybe we yeah. will have to do that. We'll ha we'll have to bring the three documentarians of twenty twenty dogs together. Yeah. Uh, big, a, a big round table. A big, a big round table. table. <laughs> with, we can all some... complain about how difficult they are to film. <laughs> well, were they? Well, they they. Well, I, I'll tell this one story. When we were filming the truffle hunting dogs in in Italy, they um. The 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 truffle the truffle hunter said said to me he said there's two types of truffle hunting dogs, one will just sort of stay really obediently by your side and just sort of snuff out the truffles and stay on the path with you, and then the others are like crazy they'll go over the mountains up and down and across and like that off the moment you go and I'm like which type do you have oh the latter and I'm like oh okay. That's going to be a lot of work. So we're already filming at high altitude and I'm not the fittest guy on the planet to start with. And so I'd go like, well, where will the dogs go? And like, oh, they're going to go up that mountain. So I'd sort of like climb up a mountain and then they're like, they're like, ready? And I'm like, sure, sure, ready. I have the camera ready. And then they just go down the other mountain. And I'm like, that's okay. That's cool. <laughs> I, the, the process of documentary is just, is just time. Just give yeah. it lots and lots of time. And eventually these sort of, and there's that one shot in the film where, where we, we followed behind a dog for like two minutes. And at the end of it, he finds his perfect, that's just pure perfect chance. You know, he might've gone the other way and I might've run the other way, but it just sort of, there's this weird ballet and eventually everything lines up and everything's perfect. And if you, mm -hmm. if you give it time and patience, but it invariably occurs, I think. Yeah. It was that scene that I thought, this is meditation. It was really yeah. watching yeah. that two minutes mm -hmm. unfold because... Mm. You were, I thought you were an awfully lucky film, <laughs> you did, and you did run, and then and you could just see you. Must, we had a steady cam or, or some yeah, a little little handheld one, yeah, little yeah, gimbal, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, no, it was one, and you're just watching it go. Like I'm just going, like just don't, don't, don't mess it up. Just don't fall over. Like yeah. that's usually my when there's something beautiful happening in front of the thing. People are always like, oh, well, how are you taking it in? And I'm like, I'm making sure my battery's not flat. I'm, you know, I just want to get the shot in the can for 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 later consumption. <laughs> And you didn't have to run with them, uh, Rose, when when the, when the dogs were running, searching for the truffles. No, I, I would usually stand back because if you're running while you're recording sound, you're going to get nothing but the sound of your own footsteps, particularly right. when you're walking over those beautiful crunchy leaves. <laughs> um, so no, I would usually hang hang back and observe from afar while, while all this was going down. <laughs> what other challenges did you have with uh, having, you know, WC Fields is credited with saying never work with children or pets. I think maybe dogs. Uh, what other challenges did you have with, with uh, uh, filming the dogs? I think that the, the, the hardest thing was that we couldn't really touch them or interact with them. We had to ignore the dogs because you, you want, instinctively you want to pat them and, mm. and hang out with them. But, but the minute you do that, they're just going to come and sit with you next to the camera and, and not be a dog. <laughs> yeah. So we had to develop the art of just not even making eye contact. And the dogs would move on them. about, about five minutes in, they'd go like, all right, well, I'm not getting anything out of you. So yeah. like, they just go back to regular life. And I was amazed. I, Cause I was, that was one of my biggest worries. Like, are they just going to come up to the camera, come up to my feet? And believe me, we've got plenty of plenty footage of, of, of dogs coming up and sniffing, but, I, sniffing but the I, camera. But honestly, I think, and, and, you know, I think dogs are in their own world a bit as well. And eventually they would, they would go like, all right, fine. Well, you had your chance. And then it's like back to, back to whatever they were doing, be it the hunting truffles or, or walking the streets of Santiago. I think the most amazing was uh, Chino in, mm. 
in in Santiago. Sort of. Uh, he did. He did not give. He did not give two hoots about the camera at all. Yeah, like, he was just sort of not, like did not care. We yeah, were in, in the story, we you know he he wanders the streets at night, and that's genuinely what we did. You know, I remember the translator. I said, I hope you brought a book, and she literally had bought brought a uh, two thousand page book. She's like, I'm just gonna sit and re and we would go sit with Chino, and he'd run up to the park, and he'd just sit there watching things for about honestly two or three hours and we just sit with him and then he'd be like i'm off now and we're like oh okay you know you always got to be ready so he'd, he'd walk off to the next place he wanted to hang out and we would just sort of capture 10 seconds of that and it's like well that was worth it that's three you know like it uh they event they they i was surprised how much they were able to click back into their normal mm. lives and ignore us thank goodness <laughs> how many days of shooting did you did you track china and of course, think, as you see in the movie, Chino has a lot of different names because he has different personas, yeah. uh, depending upon most where of he's it's hanging over out. Two, yeah, most of it's over two very long nights, I think. I think most of what you see in the film is over yeah. two long. And then I think we filmed the the gentleman at the hospital separately. It's other little bits and pieces. Yeah, it was probably three days. We went back and got a few extra pieces with him. Was it hard um, to find him? Well, no. that was our biggest worry. We had this, this um, uh, person who did street tours in Santiago. She's like... We told her the concept of the film, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I'll I'll find you the most amazing quiltros." Um, and and she told us about Chino, and we're like, "Fantastic, we're coming, we're coming down." Okay. And then we're like, "How do you, guarantee like yeah. how, like because he lives his own life, you know?" Okay. And then we're yeah. like, "What if?" We come down there and there's just nothing. Like, but he lives his own life, but he does keep a schedule. He does keep a schedule. He does keep a schedule. So, and so we, I would... we had it on good authority that he would be inside the pet store if we came around like 11 a.m. And then, and then, and then um, I was like... <laughs> I like a dog who can keep time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, he's not going to be there. This is a waste. What if he's not there? And then I'm like, well, luckily there's plenty of other cultures, but like this one was meant to be the the uh, the finest of them all. And like um, it was, we turn up and he's sitting there almost like, I'm ready for my close up. He was ready. To, he was ready to <laughs> yep. go. Where it was almost been? like, he was yeah. almost like, yeah, where have you been? The, you know, the agent said, uh, you know, yeah. it was like, it was, you know, perfect things happen if you let them, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I spoke with Elizabeth Lowe, who, who did straight. Do you know how she mm -hmm. did it? No, no, no. She put GPS tracking on the dog. <laughs> uh, we had we had discussed this. We had said, should we use GPS trackers? And we were, we decided not to in the end. We were like, leave it to the... I figured if nothing else, I could have stuck my phone to him. Yes. And that has at least a GPS yeah. tracker. But I guess, yes, she had a, to cover them over. She, she had to cover them over. over many... Over a long period of time and different exactly. dogs, and it's mm. like, how do you know they're going? Oh well, I have to put a little GPS on it, uh, which which <laughs> is like great. That. That's I thought that's a great way. That's to she would have had this interactive map of where they all were, I guess. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, well, she could see how far they traveled, which was quite a distance. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's take a quick break right here to hear from our sponsors, and when we return, I'd like to discuss some of the scenes in the film. This is the long leash. We'll be right back. And now a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. It's a strange thing to do, sprinkle this powder on my food, but I wouldn't have it any other way. My time with you is precious and irreplaceable, and I'm thrilled to be with you for as long as possible. Here's to puppy playtime and senior snoozes. <laughs> no matter how old I get, I want my ever pup. 
It just makes me feel good in this life and the next and the next and the next. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. We are back with Matt Sala and Rose Tucker. So when you were filming the movie, was there a part in particular that you found to be more emotional than the others? Mm. I think you had the, the stories of the former child soldiers in Uganda was, was you know, has to be up there. Um, you know, you've got people telling pretty horrific things, but they're telling these stories and you can just see how much the dog is helping them just by sitting there with them while they're mm. telling these stories. Like that was just... That is the relationship captured right there. And these, um, and these are, for, for, for our audience, these are people who were swept up in the genocide and they mm-hmm. tell these horrific stories and they have a lot of um, anxiety and PTSD and they credit yeah. the dogs with, and this, and this organization that you profile early in the film, with uh, helping them live normal lives today. Yeah, um, and you know, more really, normal lives. Yeah, yeah, more normal. To 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 put it simply, I, there's about nothing worse human beings can do to another human being than make them be a child soldier because mm. it's this compounding trauma. The the trauma of a child having to 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 murder early in their lives, but then forced into this when the war is over and they come back to the community, they are often ostracized because they were forced effectively to be the bad guy. So that that's that compounding PTSD and trauma. Mm. And that's a, what um, some of the, the people we speak to in the film refer to. So it's this, it, it really did summarise this whole concept for our film, which was like, well, you know, do we deserve the love dogs given? I, I just love the idea, um, I think Lucy says it in the film, that like, you know, dogs forgive everything. Dogs, you know, they, they don't see any of this. They just... They don't judge. They just yeah, don't yeah. judge. And yeah. I think that was really, you know, by showing... I think dogs don't point fingers. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a really powerful... Um, and it's interesting because in that area of Uganda, dogs aren't normally kept as pets as we perceive it. You know, they're, they're often kept as guard dogs or working dogs, but not pets as we see. And so I think Lucy also says, like, I didn't know dogs could be trained to be your friends. Mm. And I think that says a lot. You know, when you know, I, you know, know, we're from Australia, living here in America. We sort of have this very, you know, simple understanding of what relationship with dogs are but to put it in a place where that's a new relationship and they are seeing it sort of it's it's almost like a a control you you sort of what they observe in dogs there's a lot of truth in because they are seeing it without generations of dog ownership that that we're used to for example Mm. were you struck by the eloquence of the people you were interviewing in uganda yeah, absolutely. Huge, yeah. And I think that's part for part of us, that part of that is uh, the language thing in that we, you know, we're not in the film. Right. We don't speak. We let people speak. We let them have complete agency in their story and tell it in their own language. You know, creates there's certain challenges in, in, in translating it afterwards and all of that. But to me, that, that really lets them tell it in their voice. And I think, yeah. Um, and we were, you know, obviously going into this, we were a little bit worried that we didn't want to make anyone's trauma worse by having them 
retell these horrific things. Right. And we, we, you know, discussed all of that before we went ahead. But the, the overwhelming sort of consensus was that these people wanted to tell their stories. It actually helps them in their therapy. It's, it's sort of rec- a recommended part of it. So I think part of that eloquence comes from the fact that they have told these stories they reinforce the power of it by retelling exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So they know their story so well and they're proud of telling that story. So they're very eloquent when they do so. One of the other scenes that obviously was uh, very striking was what you shot in Vietnam. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's been interesting. Obviously, that scene is always going to have is the scene that people are going to talk about and are going to remember. For us, for me, it was... Well, let's reveal for for our listeners if if we're not revealing too much about the film. Yeah, so so basically the the question when we, you know, conceived of this film, everyone asked us, are you going to do something about the dog meat trade in Asia? And it would have been a really easy thing to say, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Keep it light, keep it fluffy. Um, but you know, and I'm of Asian heritage myself. And so, you know, the, the, like, do you guys eat dogs has been a, a schoolyard like refrain since I've been a, you know, there's, a, there's, I think Joel Kim Booster, the comedian goes like, we all know what people always ask Asian people. And it's, it's, do you eat dogs? And, mm. but that also to me reveals that people don't know what it, what it is and what like people don't know how to contextualize it. People have these, these visions of it. And so from us, for us, it started as a point of curiosity. Like, well, what what is this dog meat trade, and how do you reconcile? You know, and our last film was barbecue about mm. barbecue. How do you bring all of this together, and how how do you understand the relationship between humans and dogs, between humans and animals, without understanding this side of it? And then we just sort of said, well, let's just tell it. Let's not, you know, not in a gratuitous way, not in a judgmental way. Let's just mm. sort of tell it, and let's. He, you know, once again, you know, by the the people we speak to in the film, let them tell their story, let them tell it in their words, and so it, it sort of evolved very um, naturally for us to the point that it was like we felt that leaving it out of the film would have been saying more than leaving it in, and so that's sort of how we approached it. How did you find? I mean, so you knew that you wanted to cover it, so you. You thought Vietnam was the place to... to uh, we, we, we weren't... Ta- we, we, we investigated it in several places, actually. Uh, we spoke to a, a researcher in South Korea um, and then spoke to someone in Vietnam and uh, we felt that we had the right person to do the research in Vietnam. Uh, the, the, the girl that we were working with there, had a, she was very sensitive about the issue. I think we trusted her in being able to approach... Um, you know, someone working in the dog trade and, and knew that she would be able to do that in a sensitive way and gain their trust. Um, and that's that's why we ended up landing on, we, we filmed in Hanoi. Um, and she, yeah, she did a brilliant job because obviously um, even in, in Vietnam, you know, people are very, very nervous about showing this side of their culture to the Western world because it obviously gets a lot of negative press. Uh, and so I think they were very, very worried that we were going to come in and, you know, make them look bad so we had to work very hard to yeah gain their to let them know that we were just telling the story as they as you know telling their story yeah exactly do you think it's a sympathetic portrayal of the i i don't know if the words for, for me it was like i think the that that scene is probably us trying to be the most standing back mm. from it if that makes sense but i think i think there is a natural uh, attempt at sympathy and understanding in everything we do so that like I try to meet people at the level that they um, that they exist in in the world you know like 
um, yes, I have Asian heritage, but I also grew up in Australia, Western heritage. So for me, it's 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 just as confronting for us watching it, mm. knowing that like my, well, my propensity is to to be abhorred by this 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 world. But then I also understand that that uh, a cultural thing of mine as well, being raised in a, in a Western country. So for me, it was just like I was trying very hard just to stand back and just like appreciate that these are human beings just doing making it, a living. making a living. Yeah. So in that sense, I guess that there is a sympathy there for regular life. Um, but then I would say, you know, that on a personal level, that was very hard. That hard scenes to film as well, you mm. know. From a yeah, I can only yeah. imagine what you ended up putting in the cutting room floor. Yeah, yeah, the, and for and for me and and I, I think bad, bad choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, but I think part of what was important to me also was that that like yeah, you know, and we learned this from having made the film barbecue is that like there's certain imagery we could use that would in its in and of itself be uh, distressing enough that that would uh, obfuscate the actual conversation we wanted to have which is like well if we if we have to reconcile the way we live our lives in the west we need to sort of think about what this all you know i think it's um uh lan says in the movie it's like i don't he literally just didn't get it Uh, lan yeah yeah he said um he literally just said like you eat i don't get you guys you eat pigs you eat i just don't understand you know he really just didn't think there was that much of a big deal about it so and I was like, well, that's a perspective that I think is is the most valuable perspective to glean out of this story, I think. So, hmm. Well, it was definitely a bold choice for a film that at least ostensibly is is geared towards dog lovers. And sure. it's, it's a hard thing to, 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 to cover. Did you guys grapple with that decision or you just knew ahead of time, like, this is, we, we want to be all in on this? No, we, we, it was uh, one of the la- close to last things we shot. Um, we were not intending to do this at all. But like Matt said, people kept asking, almost joking, like, oh, are you going to show people eating dogs? Yeah, it was like a... And it got to a point where we're like, you know what? Yes, yes, yes we are. It, yeah, it, if we're out there making a film about the relationship between humans and dogs around the world in all its different you know aspects then 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 we need to include this and i think and i think um in terms of you asking how we grappled with it we um one of the i think the ways we you know we were talking about before the way that we film things gives us this great power to like to get rid of external voices like you know we didn't have like somebody going oh you know you won't sell the film you know all of that sort of crap like we it was just us and it was isolating you know for about two three months in this you know little apartment here in Brooklyn we lock ourselves in and we edit and we sort of had to make the decision no one knew we had shot the scene like we like um even um the people that help us try to get the film to distributors even they didn't know about it and we we basically finished the whole film and got it to south by southwest going like that's that's it that's what that you know like that's the director's cut that's that's how we'd like it to do and you know wherever the chips fall in terms of how people react to it and you know the south by southwest they were the first people to see it and they were very much like yeah it felt like a necessary scene to the film and then you know we we and then in the year that's followed it's been sort of a, it's it's been interesting there's been a lot of people that have you know been thankful for the scene or at least understood its importance um, on the flip side, we had some people from a film festival that had heard about the scene and wouldn't even look at it, mm. you know, like, so there's, a, you know, we've missed some opportunities to reach. Oh yeah. Look, I, I won't lie. We've had distributors turn down the film because of that scene and we could have cut it. We could have cut it. 
right then and there and we decided not to and that's you know we were that's a, a pretty uh, ballsy move when it's literally money on the line and but you know we feel that strongly about this about the scene being included <laughs> that's why i said this is there was a bold choice um i love we talked to touched on it briefly the truffle dogs yep. in italy i think i want to come back as a truffle hunter <gasps> yeah yes i think they live a pretty awesome life and those dogs have so much fun yeah i i i, I my favorite <laughs> i think one of my favorite bit was like um riding in their in their pickup truck mm with them and it literally smelled which i thought was like a big four by four it was like yeah. it was like everything is so rural and there's like oh that's a brand new fancy yeah, american yeah, yeah. Truffle yeah. and but the but it smelled like truffles it, it either smelled like cigar mm. either oh. cigarettes or truffles it was, like yeah, it was really really <laughs> intense smell but yeah those dogs are uh, they just love they just are loving life <laughs> and it was i think it was um um uh, Luca explaining to us that he said that um, like dogs themselves don't particularly like truffles. That's why, because traditionally it was always pigs that um, would would snuff them out. But pigs love the truffles, so they would like you know go at them and sort of like eat, eat them. And them. Be but a bit also, of a... the the pigs really dig up the ground. Well, that, yes, the other thing is they they destroy the the, the gentle spores of the truffles yes. underneath. They have them. a big problem out there with like wild boars just tearing up the ground, and and that's no yeah. good for the truffles. So apparently. so the, for the dogs, it's a constant game like they literally they do it just for the 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 love of the reward from their owner and all that. so it's kind of yeah it's like they don't they don't care for the truffles they could care less <laughs> they, they care for the they, treat yeah. it's basically i found you this and then now give me my liver yeah, yeah. or whatever yeah. is in the yeah. pocket what is in the pocket was, what is uh, in their pocket yeah, so some sort of dry yeah a little dry. i don't know quite what it was. i don't know what it was actually but the dogs knew straight away they'd always go straight to that pocket <laughs> <laughs> clearly way better than than, than what the trouble we did a uh, a segment on dog edition we learned a little bit did you know the why they stopped using pigs I, and why, why dogs were I, used I, other than what you said was right but there's another reason no, go, 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 go on. because <laughs> there's a secret look because of course they're very protective about where the truffles are uh, in in the forest and so when you're walking your pig it looks a little more obvious oh. than like Oh, you're walking your pig versus you're walking your dog. <laughs> Fair enough. That's great. Fair enough. Yeah, I learned that. I mean, it's very, um, it's all very, it's all very territorial. territorial. And yes. I think the guys that we were with had like, they had the rights to the land, but they were there. And I'd be like, well, who's that truffle hunter? And he's like, oh, he's a poacher. Like, yeah. And it was sometimes they'd be like, I'd be like, do you get upset with the poachers? Like, no, nah, they're not going to find anything. They don't know what they're doing. Like, <laughs> so it was almost like, let them have it. Because they're yeah. not going to, they, they don't know what we know. Like, <laughs> And then I guess we'll touch on one more scene, which was the sheep herders. Sure. Paint that picture for mm. us. That was the first thing we filmed in the film. Uh, that was in uh, the mountains of uh, Romania, right near Transylvania. And um, just there's there's not a huge number of families that still do it the traditional way. Something we've learned in a lot of our filming over the various films is that um, a lot of the traditional ways are dying mm. just because it's too hard. It's yeah. just too easy to pop the sheep in a truck and move them. Yeah, so what happens is these guys are looking after multiple people's sheep up in the mountains um, throughout summer. Um, and the at the end of the, that period of time, they have to move them. 
step back down the mountain. And what's happening now is that everyone's just doing it with big trucks. The trucks come up, load up the sheep, bring them down the mountain. But these guys are still insisting on doing this day-long, you know, hike across the mountains. And, and then when they get to the other end, the most interesting thing was watching them redistribute the sheep back to yep. the original owners. And I was like, are there even any marking on these sheep? How do we know? know. But, but they did. <laughs> they did know. And he had, I think, about five different, you know, owners worth of sheep and they all got divided out and, and that was it for the season. But that um, was, yeah, that was really amazing. It was, it was, you know, they, 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 we could not work out, um, uh, we could not work out where they were going to go. They sort of tried to explain to us. We'd have this map out of like the Romanian mountain, and our tra- and our translator used to occasionally mix up the word for left with the word for oh, right. God. I mean, she was great, but she was yeah. a bit. <laughs> but, but what the most beautiful thing was, and there's shots of this in the film, the the the, the flock of sheep is led by a group of cows at the very front, and the cows have walked this this path every day for amazing, however yeah. many years a cow lives. And they know the route. So there was no shepherd leading the front. The cows were leading the front. <laughs> so we learned, just stick with the cows because the cows know what... The cows They know, know exactly the where know. they're going. The it's cows a, never a, forget. A day-long thing. And they know left, right, up, down, this little laneway here. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that is extraordinary. Now, the, the um, sheep herder was wearing this, like, um, like, did you call to central casting it for was, the wardrobe? It was, he was wearing this... Yeah. One, one, one of the things that we've always done is never ask people to dress up in any sort of way. You know, it's a, that's it's not that Nat, '60s Nat Geo kind of uh, look, and and because I kind of like that. I kind of like I, when we were filming on the previous film in Mongolia, it would be sort of half traditional clothes and then half an Adidas uh, tracksuit. Track yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but for this one, he, that was just naturally he would just everything was like a, a, like an old uh, Van Gogh Renaissance painting. Yeah. He wasn't putting. He, he, he looked like he was. He couldn't have cared less up. that we were there. So like, it's not yeah. like he was putting anything on. No, this but was his legitimate clothes. I think and there was a bit of. A... I just love his collection of impractical hats. So they have <laughs> yeah. these amazing hats that sit on the top of your head, and don't I don't know what is holding them on. Like, and they're moving <laughs> the sheep across the mountains wearing these hats. It's brilliant. <laughs> it is extraordinary, and you found these people in part because of these pictures you've you 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 amassed how do you how do you going back to the whole fixer thing where do you how do you find them? oh you're in yep. Berkeley. yeah you start with the internet and you and you start digging and you there's a there's a few websites you can use for like um finding film crew and things like that but most of the time we would just figure out okay we wanted to film about a street dog in in chile so let's you know street dog street tours let's look at people who do street tours we found this company that did these um really interesting street tours with like um you know feminist history of santiago like i'm like this you know this girl sounds really cool yeah she had and we, when we spoke to her she had recently it's like there's no book on the lgbt or um or feminist history of Santiago. She went and knocked on doors and created this map. And I'm like, well, that's who we need. Yeah, this know. girl. I'm like, this girl's got moxie. She's gonna be good for this. So I just emailed her directly, and she's like, oh my god, I love dogs. This is the best project. Yeah, ever. it wasn't hard to rope people into the no. film. Like that's the easy bit. Like, um, with, uh, <laughs> was it a little a little easier with dogs than? Oh no, all well, of them were easy. <laughs> that both were pretty easy. I think the hardest thing with with barbecue was that 
people didn't understand that we just wanted to show like their regular, like an uncle cooking in the backyard. They They're all like, why? That's just so normal. Yeah, and I'm like, it, it, and I'm like, cooking horror vats in the middle on giant swords in the backyard may be very normal to you, but our people would be very is, fascinated. You know, by it. But, you know, people would think, oh, you want to do like an Anthony Bourdain thing and go find like a, you want us to go find a chef. I'm like, no, 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 no. no chefs, just. Backyard and they're stuff. like, and I, we had a few on that just go like, all right, well, you're paying, do whatever yeah. you want. Like, I think dog, they, dogs was easier because people would instantly just wanted to show off, show off their dogs. You know, I know that in uh, in Pakistan, like finding Beanish, our character there, um, our our fixer who, who's a journalist, um, all she did was put the word out on Facebook, and she's like, hey, do I know anyone interesting out there that's got a dog? And Beanish came forward, and she's like, this is me, this yeah, is my and dog. I think if, and a few of her other <laughs> friends like you you've spoken to Venus right like yeah, she, yeah. she's pretty cool she like. was the obvious choice <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> You said that your people when you're talking <laughs> Matt when you're talking about the barbecue like my people so in other words your audience yeah. do you go into a project knowing what your audience who your audience that, is yeah it's a good question i i think it's i think it's like being an evolving like in a way they're very personal stories we tell so in a way like we're the first audience like we we kind of really like our own films and that we, you know, make them that way. And then it's that kind of like, I think I see the audience as being people that are fascinated by the world, but really open-minded. Um, uh, we sort of describe it as our films are for people watchers, like the kind of people that just sit on a park bench and watch people going by all day and inventing stories about them. If you're that sort of person, I hope our film is made for your kind of personality a bit. So we sort of have this idea of the personality of people that, that have that openness and have that um, desire to understand other cultures and understand themselves through how others live their lives. And it's like, if we can get that right, then, then it sort of builds out from there, I think. What's the genesis of the title, We Don't Deserve Dogs? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a really common phrase on the internet. That's what it started. And you'd right. sort of see, and I'd sort of, you know, flicking through Facebook or or whatever, you'd go like, we don't deserve dogs. And it would be this sort of cute thing that, you know, you can, a hundred, a thousand posts like it a day. Mm. And then we started going like, well, that's a really interesting question. Do we deserve dogs? And it was just this sort of, it sort of, for us, became this way that we could judge the film uh, is, is, this idea that the that the dogs in our film they they have loyalty they have love do we deserve that love that they give them it it was sort of just a, a way for us to get the conversation going and thinking about the kind of stories we wanted to tell I think yes I think it's funny because in the US people are quite familiar with the phrase but in other parts of the world they're definitely not and having to sort of explain that it wasn't we don't want it to have a negative connotation we are not literal it's not literal we're not saying the people in our film don't deserve dogs that yeah it failed tra it, it got <laughs> it, lost in translation yes, a few times a few times and yeah. then i and then i go you call it we don't deserve dogs i'm like yes but think about it as like we do deserve dogs but do we like <laughs> <laughs> too many that's too many words on yes, the title yeah. <laughs> you started the project with yeah. the title you yeah it, title. and it became like, a bit of a roadmap for us like a question we would constantly ask when we when we were editing it or when we were chatting to people like do we deserve dogs like we would meet these dogs like you know do we deserve the love that that um these dog in, dogs in Uganda have, or like, or how Sheru sees Beanish in Pakistan, like, what does that mean? Like, and so just, it actually ended up being quite a, um, like a wayfinder for us to get to, 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 mm. to go through the film and, and find the stories and find the ways to tell the story. I think it was always this little like scribble note on the back of the hand, like that helped us through it. 
did your personal feelings about dogs evolve as a result of this work? I mean, we've always loved, I've always loved dogs. Like my family had dogs growing up. If anything, it just made me realize how desperately we need to get one. (laughs) I was going to say, there's no dog. There's no dog in your apartment other than the dog behind you, which is the poster for the movie. So we, we, we do not currently have a dog. We live in a very small rented apartment and we're not allowed to have dogs. But more importantly, with our usual travel schedule, it would be pretty irresponsible, um, I think. And we don't have any sort of family over here that we could, you know, yeah. let <laughs> let mind the dog. But yeah, I think during the like during the film, I just I I just felt dog sick. <laughs> like we we this needs to happen for us very soon. I found <laughs> I found myself looking like constantly looking into their eyes, both shoot, filming it and editing it, and I was just always going like, what what are you think? You know, like the la- and and like you know, there's a lot of shots in the film of like just the it was actually quite interesting because I was often filming sort of on hands and knees and like crawling across ground to, to get the shot and and seeing that dog world. And you know, there's a, this really beautiful shot, pretty much what the poster is of, which is major watching um, his owner um, or his temporary owner, Val, his rescuer. And, she she didn't know that she, until she saw the film. She didn't know that he he sits there staring at her. She was just having a pint in the pub, and but I got to see that by being at that low level and, and observing yeah. that. So I, I think I got to sort of get a better idea of of what's ticking over in their heads while whilst down at their level. That was kind of fascinating. Yeah, Val told me after watching the film when she saw that shot of Major just looking at her with this look in his eyes, and she said she just burst into tears. <laughs> I think that is what that is what makes this film so meditative is is the amazing uh, cinematography, extreme close up cinematography of a dog's mm. eyes, in uh, so many different shapes and colors, mm. and it wasn't you know it's not like oh my god it's just an eye film but there's so many amazing shots of like oh, the beautiful brown yeah. and, and and the black and the and the and the way they look and the, and their 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 soul i think mm. comes through yeah i think so and it's it and i think it's that that constant i think for one thing i learned is for dog owners that that's a that is like you people look into the eyes of dogs to question the, their soul but to question their own soul it's a very it's a very uh fruitful transaction when you <laughs> when you stare into a dog's eyes and for and so for us making the film that 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 was yeah visually that was just really powerful for us mm. and yeah and and it literally that wasn't that was not something that i went into the film going oh must shoot lots of dog's eyes that was something when we were editing it and i'm like mm. wow this dog is literally just just <laughs> you know crop in a bit there because it's like he's she's literally just she's literally just watching the whole like her, her gaze won't won't move or whatever you know so that was that was yeah really that's something that i learned through through the film is 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 the way that they watch their mm, own constantly observing <laughs> speaking of watching obviously since this has primarily been distributed uh through streaming and, and people watching it at home on tvs uh, what kind of feedback have you heard about dogs watching the film? <laughs> we, we get some photos. We yeah. get some photos sent to I us. I had of... a very funny video a friend sent me of her cat watching the film with like... Going like, what on earth is all this? <laughs> the, the cat's <laughs> eyes were huge. Like, oh my God. Um, no, we have yeah, a lot of lovely feedback. A lot of people sending us photos of their dogs watching. and I, I like to ask like how dogs react. Some dogs 
spark at the screen. Others just very calm. Um, I think the scene of the birthday party in Peru with all the dogs barking, barking, yeah, barking. The, the, yeah, who kind of activate that one. That one usually <laughs> triggers uh, a reaction a, from any a, dogs that a are deep, watching. A deep pack mentality <laughs> within many dogs. <laughs> yeah, it was a bunch of Maltese oh, having a. It was a bowl bunch of yeah. white dogs uh, having a birthday party, and you could just see the diversity. But they're all pretty much the same. Oh, they breed. were. That was literally uh, a Maltese group. That was the, yeah. There yeah. was a few outliers. A few a few uh, other breeds came along for the party, but by and large, feeling, they're Maltese. Talk about feeling a fish out of water. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, what is next for you guys? Oh, good question. Well, um, this film basically took all of our life savings, and then the pandemic hit. So we're not really in a position right now to get out there and start making another film. Um, we need to consolidate, earn some money. We're doing some corporate work, commercials, that kind of thing. Um, we'd love to make another film, but more I mean, more importantly, like we like telling these global stories about you know things that bring people together. And right now in the world, that can't happen. Yeah. Um, we really don't want to make a film about the pandemic because there's going to be a lot of those. I don't think we have anything really new to add to that conversation. So I think we sort of want to bide our time a little bit and then hopefully be able to tell, you know, another great positive story about our global family. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I think in terms of, you know, the pandemic and what it, something that it's affected it's had on us is, it, and I think this is for a lot of artists and a lot of gig workers is, is oh, you know, like you have to be so sustainable. Mm. You know, you ha how do you, you know, for us it's all going to be like we would love to spend the rest of our lives doing that, doing this. We've, you know, we've been able to do this for about 15 years, but it's always been, you know, never knowing what comes up next week. So this idea of like, well, we should really make sure we can do this if we want to do this for 30 or 40 more years. We have to sort of crack that. Yes, you can't have all the eggs in one basket again, like like we did with this film. <laughs> but yes. Well, Matt Soleil and Rose Tucker, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. The name of the film is We Don't Deserve Dogs. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. After watching We Don't Deserve Dogs, you may be repeating the title to yourself, but perhaps with a little different emphasis. We don't deserve dogs. But that is part of the reason that we as dog lovers adore them so much. Our canine companions want nothing more than to snuggle by our side or go for a walk or of course receive a handful of yummy goodness. I wanna thank Matt and Rose for chatting with me today. Again, if you haven't yet watched the movie, go check it out. You can find it links in our website or on their website, which is www.wedontdeservedogs.com. The film is available for rent on Amazon Prime Video or Vimeo or Google Play or YouTube and pretty much all the streaming sites. If you are a fan of physical media, yeah, you can grab a copy of either the DVD or the Blu-ray of this movie as well. If you like what you heard on today's podcast and you are looking for more dog content, please check out our entire back catalog of long leash episodes. And for even more shows aimed at dog lovers, well, please check out some of our other dog podcast network programs like Dog Edition and Dog Cancer Answers. And more are on the way. We are adding new shows all the time, and you can find them at our main website, which is dogpodcastnetwork.com. We here at DPN would love to know what you think, so please leave us some feedback. We are available on our website, 
longleashshow.com, as well as on all the social media channels. And if you happen to stop by the site, go ahead and click that little blue microphone icon that's at the bottom right of every page, and you can leave us a voicemail. We really would love to hear from you. We are available on all the podcast apps, as well as Spotify and YouTube, so please make sure that you follow us so that you don't miss an episode. Also, go ahead and tell your friends about us here at the Long Leash and Dog Podcast Network. I'm James Jacobson. That's our show for today. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, we wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.